0: So, I think what we'll do now is I would like to introduce um, each of the participants on the panel, and um, I have a, a short introduction. We have um, four people in our panel today. Um, the first one is Karen Hendricks. She's the spiritual director for Affirmation, and Karen grew up in Logan, Utah, in a loving and devout LDS family, and currently li- currently lives in Indiana with her spouse Tanya. Yes, that is me. Um, Karen has delighted in being a mother and grandmother to thousands of children and youth through her work as a music teacher and university professor. She and Tanya also work locally, nationally, and internationally as researchers and advocates for music education, women, LGBTQ individuals, and youth. So, welcome, Karen. Thank you. Um, I'd also like to welcome Sam Noble. Sam grew up uh, and once again lives in Muncie, Indiana. He served his mission in Taiwan and received his bachelor's degree from BYU where he came out while in school there. He's taken every opportunity to travel the globe and the country and is an active member of Affirmation and his LDS congregation. He hopes that he can somehow use his experience to bring healing and reconciliation to others. So welcome, Sam.
1: Thank you, thank
0: you. <laughs> um, also on our panel is Carolyn Pearson. As many of you know, Carol Lynn is a longtime ally to the LGBTQ community. She's also the author of the book, The Hero's Journey of Gay and Lesbian Mormon, No More Goodbye, Circling the Wagons Around Our Gay Loved Ones, and Goodbye I Love You. She's also a poet and the author of the play and soon to become movie, facing East. So
2: welcome to Carolyn Pearson. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Wonderful.
0: Also joining our panel late uh, will be Judy Finch, so I'm going to introduce her now. Um, Judy is an active member of the church currently serving as Ward Gospel Doctrine teacher, stake addiction recovery program leader and Temple volunteer. She and her husband have blended six children. 10 of 11 grandchildren, and four great-grandchildren. One of her sons and both of her grandsons are gay. Judy currently has a private practice in marriage and family therapy. In recovery from depression, anxiety, alcoholism, drug addiction, and migraine, Judy practices and incorporates many healing strategies in her work with her clients. Judy and her grandson, Simon, appear in a video on the Mormons and Gays website. So we'll be happy to welcome Judy in about 30 minutes. She's just finishing up with a client and will join us late. So before we go on, I would like to ask everyone to be very careful um, if they can mute their phone. We are getting some background noise that I can hear, at least on my end. There's any way for you to, um, when you're not speaking, panel members to, um, to make sure that you're not, uh, you know, brushing up against the receiver and that sort of thing. That would be wonderful. And then if you're, if you are a listener to the call, if you could um, mute or try to make sure that there's not sound going through the receiver of your phone, that would be wonderful. Oh, that's already better. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, for people that may have joined the call in progress, this call is being recorded. Um, if you have a question for the panel, please email it to Karen at Affirmation.org. That's the email that uh, the, where you got the information about the call, but that's Karen with an I, K-A-R-I-N at Affirmation.org. And we ask that you ask questions of the panel through email so we can protect your anonymity. Okay, so let's get started. Um I would like to to start um our talk tonight with a bit of an inner spiritual centering time. Um we welcome folks from all um different orientations, different um different spiritual uh paths whether you are a practicing um LDS person or uh, attend a different Christian church or are or Buddhist or, or you're not engaged in any active spiritual practice, we welcome you. Um, so, to bring us all together in the same place and to create a healing space, I just ask for everyone to center on their heart and to open their mind and to um, open to the beauty that is you. To open up to all of your hope and the, the promise and all of your possibility. And I would like you to also open your mind and your heart to the members of the panel and their wisdom and their experiences. And also to everyone who's listening to the call. Um, there are many people listening, and there may be people even listening in the future when we post this uh, on the website. We are all. Uh, one, whether we're here in person or in the future, let's open up to each other knowing that we're not alone um, and that in spirit we are all united together um, in this experience. So thank you for um, being present. Thank you for being here, all of you, and for participating in this call about healing. Just briefly, I'd like to go over the format for the call so that we understand how this is going to unfold. Um, The first thing um, that we'll talk about is healing of relationships. And there are five relationship areas which we're going to focus on. The first is healing our relationship with the divine, the creator, heavenly father, heavenly mother, the great mystery, whatever you call it. Um, The second is healing relationship with the self. The third is healing relationships with family. The fourth, healing relationships with the LDS Church. Whether you're active or inactive, you have a relationship with it of some sort. We'll talk about that more later. And the fifth is having healing relationships with partners, uh, ex-partners, current partners, or future partners. Um, After we do that, uh, I'll ask each of the panel members to share a personal story of healing, if they have one that they would like to share And then we will take um, questions from um, listeners. So that's kind of the overall format of the call. So let's start with healing relationships with the divine or the creator. Um, In preparation for this call, I uh, spoke with Carolyn um, briefly about this topic. So, Carolyn, would you mind offering some thoughts
2: about this to start? Oh, my. I get the big one, and I get it first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure. Let's let's just jump in on this one. This I I expect that well, at least I hope I'm not alone in in being one for whom this is an ongoing large experience for me. Um, maybe others have been able to say, "Oh, check that off my list. I've I've done that one now." I have to every day try to establish. The kind of uh, perhaps not image, but feeling and concept about God, because I find that I'm still, if if I'm not conscious, I can be dragged back into the Old Testament kind of judgmental God, which, and our our Mormon tradition is such a a two-edged sword on this. We get the truly loving, warm God. And on the other side, we get the really judgmental God who will not stand one speck of sin to be in his presence. Uh, So, and also, just to use the pronoun his, uh, crosses off many of us in terms of finding an immediate connection of who we are. Uh, I could ramble all over the place with this, but I, I think I... I I want to say that one one thing that helps me in my my daily attempt to feel healed and connected to the divine is is to make sure that I remember what I really believe and often forget that I am not apart from God. I am a part of God. And I, I have spent a lot of my L.DS life with the belief that that God is this divine man way up there somewhere, and that for whatever good reasons, He's thrown me down here, and my job is to climb back up to to Him so that I can be worthy to be in His presence. That doesn't serve me well really personally. And I've I found a lot of real real private anguish in wrestling with that. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, reading and thinking about other ways to conceptualize God. Uh, I, I love A Course in Miracles that tells me I am a thought of God, that God thought each one of us. And so we cannot possibly be uh, separated from our source. And sometimes when we're singing, I am a child of God, in my mind, or maybe sometimes out loud I sing, uh, I am a thought of God, or even I am a hologram of God, because I love what quantum physics is bringing to this whole thing, that the part is in the whole and the whole is in the part. And if the whole is God and the part is me, that means that somehow the the whole is also in me, and I'm not just a cut off little part here, so I'm just throwing out some of these philosophies that i I mull around in my head that that do bring some comfort to me and some invitation so that I don't have to forgive God for for things that I have mistakenly believed about God and somehow or other whether it's in a, a visual sort of way or just a feeling sort of way I have to bring the concept of the feminine right into my feeling about God and in in a talk I gave at Sunstone last summer I, I said that one day we're going to have our galileo moment where we realize that maleness is not the center of the universe with femaleness orbiting around it and that that god and man woman are are all of us an an equal kind of experience of male and female dancing together mortal and divine and if i can keep that in my in my head i feel that i'm on a fairly solid path to healing from some real disruptions that i have personally had in in facing the concept of god that i feel i grew up with yes i like what you
0: said about um the notion of forgiving God. I know that for me in my early twenties and early thirties, I really wrestled with that because I had a great deal of anger at God for creating me as a lesbian person. And it it took a long time of, uh, of working with a therapist who happened to also be uh, a spiritual woman. She's finally, I remember one day in therapy, she said to me, Tanya, do you believe that God creates junk? And and I just sat there and bawled because no, I don't. <laughs> and it was you know I had to connect myself to that, and that was very powerful. So you know, right? Do do I can be angry, but uh, but that's my misconception. I, I believed in a God that that created me to be flawed, and that wasn't the case. That was my mistake. Mm-hmm. So I like how Help. you put that. The other thing that was I thought really nice too is is the the balancing of the masculine and feminine. and I know that for in in Native American traditions there are they talk about um, gay and lesbian persons being two spirited or encompassing mm-hmm. the masculine yeah. and feminine in one. and I think for uh for people who are gay or lesbian or or queer or transgender, that there is a certain closeness there of understanding those that within our own beings, we can relate to that better. So it's helpful to also imagine um, and to to open to the possibility of the masculine and feminine being one with the divine as well. So thank you for what you said about that. I think that's very powerful.
2: Mm, Yeah. And, you know, I... I have to always remind myself that the word god itself has over the the centuries been so um, meant so many things that are not godly and so I remind myself that we just have to put that other vowel in god to make it be good and I'm certain though I'm not a philologist I'm certain that those two words have the same root god and good uh, so anything that we think about God that is not good is an error in our perception mm. Mm. and sometimes- believing as I do that that well my my best scripture about um God is God is love, so sometimes I have taken it upon myself to to not use the word God or Heavenly Father or Heavenly Mother, but to use the word love, to feel like I am addressing love, which is the the ultimate source, the ground of us all. And to mm-hmm. just have a conversation with love. And what would love have me do now?
1: Mm.
3: Very powerful. Hi, Carolyn.
2: Hello,
3: is that Judy? It is. Hi, Judy. Welcome
2: to the call, Judy.
3: Thank
0: you. Judy, we are uh Carolyn was just uh talking very powerfully about um healing the relationship of uh the self with the divine. And so uh we're why don't uh I'm gonna so that you can feel uh comfortable with a call, I'm gonna actually um ask Karen to talk briefly about this so that you can kind of pick up on our conversation, then we'll come back and ask you to comment on it as well in just a few moments, okay?
3: I like that idea. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) wonderful. So, Karen...
4: Interestingly, but perhaps not surprisingly my uh, my thoughts and feelings uh, resonate very closely with uh, what Carolyn has just said. Um, I had no intention of uh, leaving the LDS church uh, but that choice, I guess, in a lot of ways was made for me. one of the uh one of the difficulties at first, was grasping a new concept of God. Uh, As we all know, that is spelled out in such intricate detail for us, uh, the nature of God. And all of a sudden, I realized that I, I... could expand that and had to expand that. And uh, I told my family when I came out to them, God is greater than our understanding. I have to believe that.
3: Mm-hmm. But
4: that left me without a ground to stand on, yeah. you know, without that sense of security that I had had all of my life, knowing exactly, or so I believed knowing exactly what God looked like, felt like, you know, etc., and it was very, very scary um, and and often is still scary, but I've realized that it's part of the mystery that is so extraordinary to me. Um, there's a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom uh, by Rachel Naomi Remen, and toward the end of the book, she talks about the mystery that is God, and she talks about how she worked with cancer patients and have them visualize uh, a safe space, and they seem to all be surprised as they the safe space that they visualized was dark and warm. And we in the LDS Church are taught that dark is evil. Yet this place of comfort was dark and warm to patient after patient after patient. And as she compiled these stories, she realized that they had in their mind gone back to the womb. And it was in this womb-like, this feminine, space where they could grow and heal and be nurtured. And I I hold to that image a lot, that in my not knowing, in the times that feel dark, that is a place of nurturing and healing. And if I open my heart and say, wait, is this really scary? Um, is this really bad? what I really feel is is nurturing as I go to the depth of my heart and and find that place of healing that is inside of me, as Carolyn said. uh, If we are a part of God, we are the whole of God as well. And when I open myself to my heart and embrace that mystery, I feel a nurturing and a healing that I can't describe, but I don't have to. And I can just let myself soar and be and feel uh, right in the middle of the mystery and right in the middle of the nurturing joy that comes with that.
2: I love the word mystery. And we Mormons are so determined to get everything on the chart really accurately. (laughs) And uh, I I wrote a poem one time, I can't remember it, but something like... I hope we never pin down God like we have pinned down a butterfly. Because, you know, you can't pin, down, you can't pin a butterfly to the wall until it's dead. And we try so hard <laughs> to pin down the largest concept in the world, which is God. And, and I, I love the idea of, of making enough room for the mystery.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, well said.
0: Sam, what are your thoughts at this point uh, in the conversation?
1: Um, I really liked uh, what Carolyn was saying about um, the divine and the self being so closely related. I I definitely grew up with that. Um, I'm down here and God's up there mentality, and that I have to do my best and work and sacrifice and obey in order to climb back up to him. Um, But as I was going through this list of different healing relationships, um, first of all, what has led to my healing with the divine and what has led to my healing with self, um, I realized those experiences are all the same for me, and what has led to healing with the divine for me, and what has led to healing with myself, it's been the same exact things. And I realized what um, like Carolyn said: God is part of me, and I'm part of um, God. And that's been been wonderful because I don't I don't have any longer have that uh, belief that if I do something, I I really Distance myself from him, but um, that I he accepts me and loves me, and um, wherever I am, and is just as much a part of me um, now and before and in the future as uh, as he ever will be. And I, I love the the mystery part of it because uh, again, if we if we pin God down and figure him out, and, I mean, what else is there to do in life? And I believe that that's, the real purpose of it is to to continually just figure out a little bit more of that mystery of God each day of our life here. Um, and, I mean, I think it's the New Testament it says this is life eternal, to know God. And, I mean... As Mormons, we believe eternal life is pretty far away, and so um, I guess really knowing God is is not something we should expect to to really accomplish anytime soon. Right. Well, and maybe, I have another. Oh, go ahead.
2: Well, at, at least I, I think for me, my my need is. It's perhaps not to insist that I understand God in terms of my cerebral experience, but rather to experience God by living fully. Because somehow, what? And I, I, I sometimes I think that, that this whole search—where is God? What is God? You know—is like that little. That little um, cartoon where the two little goldfish are swimming around saying, "What's this water thing they keep talking about?" <laughs> so, so what if, what if God is is so present because what if God is that, that an as not even an aspect, but an, um, an an experience of God is life. As we experience life, we experience God, and I, I I wanted always tell myself, quit trying to figure things out. Just just live. Drop drop your fears and just live. I think that it's difficult to
0: do that sometimes. Because so much of our concepts are uh, about God, we learn through our parents and family and the church, and uh, what other people have told us that we can expect to experience. And I can think of one phrase in particular that the 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 notion that other people can tell if the light has left your eyes or that somehow your constitution has been compromised somehow if you are to to um to do something that other people uh don't think you know matches with doctrine or that sort of thing. So for a gay person who is struggling with their sexual orientation, there's this notion of, oh, if I do this, everyone's going to, you know, if I if I stay true to what I'm feeling in my heart is right for me, then somehow everyone's going to know because the light's going to leave my eyes and my constitution's going to be compromised and everyone's going to 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 um to know that somehow, you know, I have um, separated from God, separated from God. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw that one towards you, Judy. You've worked with lots of, in counseling, I'm sure you've dealt with with this notion. Um, do you have thoughts? That, what would you say to uh, a person who is is struggling with concepts of God that are um, learned through the family or the church versus their own internal experience of the divine and those being in conflictual.
3: Well, <clears throat> well, I don't know about in the counseling room, but I can respond to this on a personal level, maybe, what it's like for me. Um, and I don't know that I can identify that too clearly. For me, anything that I'm doing that is really present and here and now and that I'm really involved in, I think, is part of what we're talking about, what Carolyn describes as living. And when I know that the light is in my eyes and in the eyes of the person I'm with. And I think that's what what we're talking about here. And for me it's not a, a conflict with any particular doctrine of any sort that I can think of. I don't know if that's helpful to anybody or not, but.
0: Well, I guess what I mean is if, um, if I as a lesbian, um, decide that it's right for me to, um, to, to be married to my partner and to, and I believe that that's a spiritual partnership of God and that we're, Put together by God, that does um, conflict with doctrine, and maybe m- someone in my family might suggest that you know I'm I am stepping away and, and no longer um, following the the teachings of the church or the doctrine, and and therefore in danger of um, losing that connection.
3: That is a time I think when you would need to. Rely on the strength of your own testimony of what is right, the way that you see it and feel it. And one of the things I like about our church is that we are taught we deserve and will receive intuition, revelation into our own circumstances. I don't think we, as church members, I don't think we know everything. There's a whole lot of stuff we don't know. But one of the things that I think we do know is that each person will be given to know what is right for her. If She gets really, you know, centered on that in some way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Judy, that's certainly true. But that this, I think that's also one of the things that we get double messages about because we absolutely are taught what you just said. And and then we're also taught that if you pray and pray and get an answer that is different from what the general authorities are telling you, you get back on your knees until you get an answer that's, uh, that's, that works out with theirs.
3: Well, sure. I'm kind of smiling at that. That just sounds so much like you, Carolyn. And I love you so much. <laughs> um, but there is a place where that you may a person may not be able to do that, and and that's valid. So then that person, you know, depart takes a departure somewhere. Because then I think the whole hierarchy kind of stuff is not as important to that person and doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would in, love... a, in the various people who have emailed me or called me, and I'm I'm not a professional therapist at all, and I I never tell anybody. What to do about anything, but the one thing that I find that I consistently tell everyone who who contacts me for anything is believe in yourself before you believe in anything else. Because I think once a person stops believing in in himself or herself, and puts anybody or any institution ahead of their own selves we We can have a circumstance like like our our dear friend Stuart Mattis, who clearly said that he he, he believed in in the church more than he believed in himself. He had con- he had more confidence in the church than he had in himself so its it's a a challenging thing to 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 walk that and listen to everyone else and then let the let the last final voice. Be your own personal conversation with God. Well, the
0: second relationship.
3: Go ahead, Judy. No, um, well, what I was thinking of was an exception to that, where people present for therapy when they don't really know themselves and they can't trust themselves at that point, and they can't be true to themselves because they're it's too fragmented or. Or t- or not tangible enough or whatever, <clears throat> but other but people who are healthy psychologically, I think certainly that would be the the thing for them to do. Right, I I see what you're saying. Right.
0: I totally agree with that as well, having uh, presented for therapy myself in such a condition. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly uh, therapy was incredibly helpful in my journey. And we've actually just transitioned beautifully into the second relationship that I wanted to discuss here. And that was the relationship with the self. Um, some different things that might fall under this umbrella um, are self-care, Um <laughs> Internal dialogue, like self-talk, using your imagination um, to um, imagine or project things onto other people, be it positive or negative, and having the the courage to trust guidance, um, even if there are those around you that may um, have different views or opinions or might challenge your guidance on something. So we've we've naturally just transitioned to that, Um, but I'm going to ask uh, Karen at this point to talk a little bit about one of her experiences um, where she um, was with with internal guidance. If you would mind sharing that story, Karen.
4: Yeah, no problem. I'm going to back up uh, before I share that story and uh, share another one. Uh, we talk about self-care, positive self-talk. Um, I spent so many years trying to do what was right um uh, and uh called myself um jokingly a turbo mormon because um i, I it, boy i needed to do everything i could to be to be righteous and and i think uh this is so common with uh lgbt uh q uh latter day saints who are just trying to do what's right and i remember um learning the power of self-care and listening to my own body in a way that I never had and realized just how sick I was making myself by not listening to what my body was saying to me. Um, And it was all right there. I remember once... Learning for the first time that we could receive revelation through our stomach, through our legs, through headaches, you know, everything that our body was telling us through sickness uh, was a way of telling us that maybe something wasn't quite right. And yet when we felt when, when I felt healthy and joyous and happy and full of energy, I was doing something that was right for me. And it was in that realization that I was able to really come to know myself and know what my needs were. And now to uh, have health and and whereas I used to identify as a sick person with a lot of issues, I don't even relate to that person anymore because I am so healthy, so free. Um, The experience I think Tanya wants me to refer to was the last time I was in the temple. Um, I came out to Tanya um, and said before Uh, I enter in a relationship with you. I want to go to the temple with my parents one last time. And I flew back to Utah, (laughs) came out to my mom before the session and waited to come out to my dad until afterwards. (laughs) And I sat there in the, in the temple with my mom who held my hand during the session. And what a gift to have a mother who would do that. Mm. Um, And at the end, she looked at me and she said, you need to tell your father. I can't keep this secret. <laughs> and, um, but I went to the temple and spent some time uh, by myself there the next morning. And in that space, being fully myself and being honest and open to absolutely anything that God would tell me. Because I was more real and more genuine with myself than I had ever allowed myself to be. And in that space, in the celestial room, I was as filled with the spirit as I have ever been. With that spirit telling me, go now and bring this beautiful spiritual experience and this feeling of home and this feeling of being and this feeling of eternity, bring it to the world. Go now. And I walked out, and I picked up the phone and proposed to Tanya. Mm -hmm. And I never would have imagined walking out of the temple with such joy, but I knew that God was with me and that all the details would be worked out in eternity, but that it was a time for me to be real and be genuine and listen to that guidance within myself um, and expand my understanding of God in eternity in that moment.
2: Karen, that beautiful. is so beautiful. I thank you for that. Sure.
0: Yes. Yes, that was a. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, let's. Um, What are other people's experience? Um, Sam, um, how have you, you mentioned, you were the first one to talk about how your experience of the divine and, you know, is experiential or that you come to know the divine through your own experience, you know. Do you have anything more that you'd like to add about that?
1: Um, I would say... Just realizing that, um, like, like Karen just shared, um, being genuine, being open and honest, um, with myself, within myself, um, through myself, allowed me to be more filled with the divine, um, and just feel more at one with God. Um, I, I've i done a lot of that um, in my own way through a lot of writing out of my thoughts and not so much praying in, in the sense that we at church think of kneeling and saying a prayer, but just through pondering and through uh, meditation. I've done a lot of um, yoga and I think as a part of that I'd become more aware of, of myself and more accepting and um, just the different principles that are taught through a yoga practice. Um, I've been able to take those and and kind of build, build up myself within me to, to realize who I am and what I really want. Good.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So there so you've, you've, um, you've expanded upon, you've um, maintained some of the wonderful things that you uh, have learned through the church, but you've also done other things to care for your body and um, done you know, contemplation and meditation and things to supplement some of that. Um, so how did you, um, how did you come to, to feel comfortable doing that, or did that just seem natural to you?
1: Um it didn't come naturally, i guess um a couple of things i I was counseled by a a church leader to do much of the writing that ended up being so therapeutic and so healing for me um, and the yoga i guess was something that I just decided to to do for physical reasons, but um became much more than that. And, uh, so it's, it's nothing I, I feel like I consciously sought after, um, but as I, as I just trusted and tried to, to feel out the right path for me, uh, and to open my, my mind and my view, I, I just had a feeling inside like there was something more than just the, um, the, I guess, black and whiteness that often can be our religion. Um, And I I have a wonderful extended family who really um, embrace the the gray in in the gospel, I I like to say. Um, And they're just open to their being not just a right and a wrong, but many right ways. And they're all good. And they're not the same, but, but they're all good and they lead us to good places and so using that um, kind of background, I try to speak out and explore my own um, gray area you could say um, and I've been blessed to to find that
0: wonderful thank you for that you um that reminds me of of uh something about my own journey I remember in my um, early twenties, when I finally came out to myself, I like I, I said earlier, I was very angry at God, and um, I kind of turned away. At well, at least I thought I did. Um, but, I, you know, in my anger and my defiance, that was actually a necessary part of my spiritual journey. And as I look back on it now, in a, a, perhaps a much uh, healthier and more integrated place in my life, I can see that even though I thought I was running as far away from God as I could, I was actually running towards the divine at all times that really isn't anywhere else to go. But I had to believe that I was running actually away um, to, to protect myself from a um a divine that i thought was kind of harmful so in my own journey um i remember i started looking at other faith traditions and learning about other religious practices and that did open me up actually and and brought me right back to where i'd started to start reconciling things in my mid-30s or so so um I don't know that we can do this wrong. I think we all have a path and we're all meant to go whatever way we're meant to go um, and that we should just trust in that. So, um, Judy, do you have other things that you can say about that?
3: I'm sure smiling, listening to all of these great ideas I'm hearing. Well, let's see here. Uh, Going back to when you introduced the topic of building a relationship with ourselves, um, and that was including self-care, positive self-talk, seeking inner guidance, and all of that. It seems to me that in my experience, that was a really gradual process, and it's one that I see that I facilitate with people who come to therapy and and in in the beginning i see people needing some direct people who come to therapy benefit from getting some direction and so it can be that you get on your path and you discover it on your own and if you, and if you work with someone who's a little farther on the road i think it can facilitate that a lot um, so I teach people exactly about self-care and about positive self-talk and about paying attention to their inner guidance and listening to themselves is a a whole new concept for a lot of people. Just even the question, how are you feeling? A lot of people can't answer and don't don't even get it at all. But somebody was talking about building relationship. Uh, through the body, learning about herself, um, you know, through her physical body and so forth, and these are all just such great ideas. And I agree with this idea that sort of no, no matter which direction we head, it's it's the correct one in a sense. We will we'll continue to have that refined and and redirected and gradually until we find what it is that we need. And it, we may find at that point that it's in perfect harmony with the LDS faith or not. I, but I don't, for me, that isn't the real issue. Um, I don't know. It's just good to have a conversation like this one, which you can have very often. <laughs>
0: yes. Thank you. Carolyn, do you have thoughts?
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm just um, stand, well I'm not sitting here thinking I'm standing here thinking because I need to care for my body better by standing more than I'm sitting and so I'm thinking <laughs> Wonderful. okay uh, I, one of the things that I constantly make a commitment to do and then fail is to take as good care of myself as I try to take, of the other people in my life. And I, I I always find, well, no, not always, but way too often I find that I, I run myself into the ground. And then I wonder why I'm sobbing. <laughs> and I know, that's absurd. That's totally absurd. So I, I, I appreciate what's being said here to... Uh, to establish a relationship with your self oh okay uh if if my small self meaning my my little mortal self here my ego, can truly an, establish a relationship with my self with a capital s, which is my spirit, and know that they're they're truly truly connected and and in order to honor my my true self, my very largest self, I, I need to honor this small self that's kind of playing things out here in the mortal world, stumbling along. I have to be kinder, more gentle with this person, more forgiving when I stumble around all the time. Uh, and practice what I preach about... Believing that I am a part of God and not a part from God. So if I am a part of God, I've, I've got to be more reverent of myself. So that's what you guys mm. have been bringing me to think just now.
0: Very good. More reverent of the self. Wonderful. Very good. Well, I think now we will move on to the, the topic of... Um, healing relationships with family, and this one is uh, sometimes particularly challenging, and I think there are two aspects of this, managing conflict in our earthly relationships, and then there's also the issue of eternal family, and um, so... uh, Judy, why don't we start with you because um you have dealt with this uh in your own family and and have um had to navigate that uh, in um in multiple ways so um if you could start to s- to offer some thoughts about that
3: that would be great seems like I would be able to doesn't it um, I am in such a totally comfortable place with all of it right now that it's even hard for me to call up those times when it hasn't been but I know that it it, well, it wasn't easy or quick but I had many years uh, over which to kind of work this out for myself with God um, so I went through those maybe predictable stages of grieving you know, denial whatever, anger um, but I am truly at the place of acceptance now. I think I was just born uh, with this ability to love people. And it was irrespective of any particular thing about them other than who they were as individuals, which I I don't know that everybody has that, but I believe it is a gift that I have had. It did, however... Uh, I found it really difficult when my oldest son came out, uh, when I had been a convert to the church, oh, maybe 10 years, oh, well, no, let's see, it doesn't really matter, I'd maybe been a member of the church for, yeah, about 10 years, I guess, when he came out, and um, I look back on that now, I feel like I was really a convert then, I didn't, I mean, a, a newbie in the in the church, I didn't understand it in the same way that I do now I didn't understand anything in the same way that I do now but it was really hard for me and I was very I, it was irreconcilable actually but I was able to still of course love my son it wasn't ever about that um, but and but just having this huge dilemma but gradually it has worked out and then oh confronting with my with my grands my t- daughter's two boys, it was like, oh, wow. But again, knowing them as individuals and all the other people that I love who don't fit whatever pattern there is. I know that God loves all of us. And that just maybe made it easier. I think I forgot what the question was. Hearing healing relationships with family. Wow. There's been so much of that, not just in terms of the GBLT stuff, but we've had this multi-generational alcoholic family on on both sides of my family, my mothers and fathers, just generations and generations of non-member alcoholics. And that caused a lot of damage that is all, in my mind, being healed. All of these, I'm the oldest one now in my family, so... To me, the uh, healing, in terms of eternally, occurs in some way that I don't know about, but I'm trusting that. I don't know, I just, am, I think also blessed with a really positive and optimistic kind of perspective. I'm glad I'm not mired down with lots of concerns and worries about the specifics of any of this. Maybe that's a cop-out, but I, I am very trusting this is all going to work out. And I think that those of us on this phone conversation are going to live on this earth to see more and more and more and more and more of it happening because it's happening right now just in the last five years. Oh, my goodness. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my response at this moment. Judy, I
2: appreciate what you just said and it it made me think of, of something else that to me is kind of profound, which is one of the ways that I have to look at the idea of work for the dead. I believe in that uh, that there's a very remarkable way in which in our own lives, and specifically looking at what you just told us, Judy, you are doing because you have done such a wonderful job of healing your own self from this history of alcoholism, that that is reverberating somehow, not only forward, but backward. Oh, thank you. you. You have been doing work for the dead of your parents, your grandparents, and who knows how many generations back. If we believe Einstein, there is no time you know, and if you believe what we're taught in church, eternity is all there is, and we have this little slice that, right now, for convenience' sake and to manage things, we call it time. But I think the 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 point of power, the only point of power that we have is now, right here and now, and and what we are doing now is going to, of course determine what comes after us, but in some marvelous way, d- go backwards as well and heal so many, many people. So, beauty, I honor you for what you just said.
3: Thank you. I actually feel the same way about that, Carolyn, even though I may not have articulated that in that, such a clear, beautiful way, but I've, what you're saying makes so much sense to me and i have a lot of peace thinking about my parents for instance knowing the things that i'm doing and yeah and being part of that with me even though they couldn't when they were here yeah thanks oh yeah i'm sh- i'm sure that's true judy yeah
2: thank you thank you both for for sharing
0: that um I'm going to, to kind of redirect us a little bit, though, because there may be some callers who, um, uh, especially when um, when it's new, when, when someone has just come out to themselves or they've just recently come out to family, that's typically a more volatile time. And it's a time where it's hard to imagine sometimes Um that healing will occur in time. I know that when I came out to my parents, some hurtful things were said. Um, there was a lot of hurt feelings. And, you know, it took a couple of decades for us to completely work that through. Um, and, and it, it was still a little precarious at times. And I know that some families have more trouble communicating than others and that there are other families that communicate quite beautifully. Um, and so it, it is very... Um, it can be very different f- for people. So I'm going to actually turn it, um, ask, refer to Karen now. Karen, recently, within the, what, how long ago did you come out to your
4: family? Uh, three years, it, within three years. Okay. So
0: this is still kind of new um, for you and your family. Would you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what it was like to come out to your, to your family and then to your siblings and, and kind of how that, has worked with the different generations uh, of people in your family and
4: how that's unfolding, at least for you at this point? Sure. I'd like to maybe share my experience and then uh, speak as... Uh, an advisor to youth, and what I've told a lot of youth. I I guess maybe I'll start with that because that's fresh in my mind. Um, I just think about how absolutely afraid someone is when they come out. They have no idea what is going to happen on the other side of that. And I know that countless people, when they come out, it's a choice. Am I going to tell them or am I going to end my life? It's that scary sometimes. And you really don't always know what's on the other side of that coming out. But when you do, my experience and from, from the youth that I've worked with, the best thing you can do is just be as genuine as you possibly can to let your parents, to let others know, look, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. I do know this is what's right for me. I know this is what's true, but I'm scared you won't love me anymore. Or I'm scared, you know, and just to be honest with them. And there's something about us that makes it difficult sometimes to look people in the eyes, which I think is when that false claim that the light is gone and they aren't the same person anymore. Well, of course, you're scared to death, you know, and so, so you can't really communicate in the same way, which then might further that divide rather than being brave enough to just look at them and say, This is hard for me because I love you so much, because your love for me means so much, and to just let yourself be vulnerable enough to tell the truth. Um, Just last week, I had that opportunity uh, when we went back to Utah and visited with my family. And I was able to talk with my sister in a very open way about how afraid I was of some, some activities that we had planned with the family. And I wasn't going to do it. I was just going to back out. And Tanya um, made sure that I had an opportunity to be honest. And it ended up being so wonderful because by being honest, my sister was then able to be compassionate Um rather than say, oh, well, Karen doesn't love us anymore, she's turned away, you know. But just by being brave enough to say, I'm scared, I need your love, uh, can do a lot of good. Um, now, going back to myself, and I guess this would also be some advice, I chose very carefully the order with which I came out to people. And I started first with the people that I knew for sure would accept me. And that was people outside of my family who were gay. (laughs) And and I knew that was a place to start and gradually built up that network and that support system uh, so that then when it became a little Um, more, what's the word I want, where it might require a little bit more vulnerability, uh, where there might be a little bit more to lose. I already had enough of a support system to hold me in that space, uh, whether they were praying for me or thinking of me or waiting for me to call afterwards. I didn't just jump out, you know, to the first person uh, that I wanted to, which, you know, would have been my parents. But I, I waited until I had a lot of other support to be able to do that and then gradually peeled one layer at a time. And of course you're never done coming out, right? Um but but developed that support system over over time. And that made a a big difference for me. So um.
0: thank you. Sam what about you? Um how um how is your uh, experience with your family, Ben, and um, what might you have to offer around this topic?
1: Um, I can definitely relate to the, the fear uh, factor being scared to death of it. Um, I think for me, coming to, to terms with my staff, I mean, that was a, a 20 something year process. Um, and, and then, um, I, I came out very gradually to my family. Um, I kind of eased my mom into it by telling her I, I didn't just like girls. Um, and then about a year later, I told my sister, um, that I was dating a guy. And then, um, after I had kind of come to a better place, um for myself, um, through some, some counseling and such. Um, just deciding what I wanted my life to look like in the future. Um, I was able to just tell my brother and then my grandparents and my dad and aunt, uncle, gradually everyone else. Um, I think a very important thing in that trying to put myself in, in the mirror position um, they, they only have, I guess, they only have their experience to go from. And so, if they don't know any, um, I guess, healthy, happy, productive gay members of society, they might be afraid that, um... I'm just going to go off and live a promiscuous, party, drug-infused lifestyle like like they just perceive. Um, and so, to me, I found it very important to, to communicate that I wasn't, I guess, throwing... I wasn't just going to change my life to... To live a certain stereotype, um, I was still I was still holding on to things I felt were good and important in my life, and I was I was still um, still committed to to figuring out what was going to make me happy and to helping other people um, and just trying to to understand what what they might be thinking um, and just assure them that. I wasn't, um, most of their fears were not going to be realized. Um, I didn't have all the answers, but I hoped that they would search for answers of their own, uh, just as I was, and together um, as a family, we could um, continue to get to a better place.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I think that that is certainly been the case in in my experience, that the the longer that, um, you know, the the more that you have, the time goes by and you have relationships uh, with people and they they see that you're the same person that they knew before you told them, that it's easier for them to um, accept that that you're not going to become some sort of um, over-exaggerated and maybe false stereotype that it, that they may have heard about uh, either in, in culture in general or uh, through the church or or whatnot.
4: So thank you for offering that. I think there's a quote um, in in Carolyn's book, uh, No More Goodbyes, I believe, Carolyn, um, uh, where someone says, "I'm the same person I always was. I'm just more honest now."
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Carolyn, you, you have
2: uh, other things to share? Um, sometimes in well in terms of healing relationships with family or friends um, I I think it's I I love to remember a thought in um, the text that I mentioned a bit ago A Course in Miracles that we can look at everyone's behavior no matter what it is as either giving out love or crying out for love and each of those two things requires the same response from us which is to give them love now i can't always live that but i i like to remember it and it has been a good guide for me many times so rather rather than blaming somebody for whatever it is they're doing or saying that might be hurtful to remember that what whatever is happening there is a is a cry for love. That that's for, for all of us and that, that helps me at least come closer to the possibility of of uh, being available to heal whatever needs to be healed.
1: Um.
4: Hmm. I if it's possible for us um as we are uh the person uh, you know as a gay person is coming out uh we're so focused on ourselves in that moment and rightfully so this is a big deal you know a lot that's going on but it can help us so much To If we can possibly get out of our own mind and our own shoes for a moment and recognize the fear or the pain um, that someone else might be going through. I'm so grateful for my mother who, uh, you know, and of course I was an adult when I came out, um, but to be able to have a conversation with my mom where she said to me, I'm so afraid you'll move away and I'll never see you again. And that was her fear, you know. And, and I know other people um, have, have different stories, but but perhaps there's something there that that really, as Sam said so beautifully, they're so afraid that suddenly you'll change or you'll move away. Um, but just to be able to, for a moment, step out of ourselves and and recognize the fear that they may have, and be able to reassure in every way or any way that we can uh, in just that moment. And also, someone at Affirmation Conference a couple of years ago, a beautiful uh, speaker, who reminded us that these people who don't understand are just trusting someone that they love, who, and, and they're working with these own perceptions and realizing we all are where we are. In every moment,
0: mhm well said I know that when i um when I came out uh, to my parents there there were a couple of kind of hurtful things said, and um I know that now that I look back at what was said, I realized that my parents were grieving um this image of what they thought would happen um they they thought that they had a daughter who would get married and have children and they would have grandchildren and, and all of that. And by coming out, I somehow interrupted their dream or their vision that they'd had ever since maybe before I was born and that... uh now i know that my my parents are open to a different dream but that there was a necessary grieving process that they had to go through that their dream had been um they had been dreaming a dream um about a ch- having a child and what that child would do and um that, that they have a right to that <laughs> and they have but that uh you know that it's it, that it's okay to give People time to to do grieving or to open to new possibilities, even if it's painful and difficult. So, and have it all I for feel that.
2: I I feel it would be useful, and certainly this has been said many many times, uh, to for gay people to remember that the, the the parents or the other loved ones they're speaking to have to somehow assimilate in two and a half minutes. What the gay person has been trying to figure out for years and years and years, well, put. and so giving them the benefit of understanding what a what a shock that is and and that they uh, you, that you, you and they are on such unequal ground because you 've been there for years and and they are just suddenly dropped on this island and and, and, and you 're hoping that they will be right where you are right now. And they can't—they can't compress all that into two and a half minutes.
1: Right. Yes. And you're—you're who the, you're the experience your own feelings and kind of from a first-hand perspective. They're still looking at it from the outside, trying to understand you, and so expect it to take even longer, I think, for them to get on the same page.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to say something about that. It's Judy speaking. Um yes, I think people are the parents are going to be really floored and shocked and at the same time they have been in a state of denial for years um, because this shows up with our little babies so early but we just can't let ourselves take it in. And so although it's it is a shock to kind of hear it on a on a certain level we already knew everybody already knew However, it doesn't make it easy to hear those words. But what I'm thinking right now is I really and truly believe that discussions like we are having, although they're perfect for right now, we need them, and this is like we're on the ground floor here, will be unnecessary in some time in the not-too-distant future because we will have evolved, I think, as a people um, who love each other irrespective of any of this stuff. It's all so... Not important in some way, who we are is is what's important, and how that being is closed in and what body is is less important. Oh Judy, I,
2: hasten the day that that will happen,
3: well, maybe I'm, you know I talked about how optimistic and positive I sort of am, but i I really if anybody would have told me that we would be even having this conversation, as I said five years ago, three years ago, I, I wouldn't have believed it. Right. So things are happening, and, and it will continue. Oh, absolutely. Uh, on on this subject, we are on such
2: a fast track. My gosh, I every so. day in the news there's some new thing that, that's happening to, to solidify <clears throat> the gains that uh, gay people are making, that we're all making.
0: Absolutely. And and Judy, I do appreciate your your positive outlook. I don't think that it's unwarranted. Um, It's difficult sometimes when we're when we do see something on the news that's discouraging uh, to always feel that way. Um, But uh, if we do look back, even at at the recent history uh, the last decade or two, Um, I I think we can see that great progress is being made. Um, I'm going to take this moment to uh, um, just remind listeners that if you have a question for the panel, um, that you should email that to karen at affirmation.org. That's karen with an I, -I K-A-R-I-N, at affirmation.org. Uh, we haven't received any questions yet, so if you have a question, please send us one. We would be happy to answer that um, if you are happy to send it to us, so I will mention it that. And then let's move on from family then um, to our relationship with the LDS Church. Now, not everyone on the call is uh, attending an LDS Church or uh, or is active um, so we want to pro- we want to proceed here with a, a multifaceted approach. But every person who has been associated with, even even though I've not been a member of the LDS Church, I have a partner who was. So all of us have a relationship to the LDS Church, no matter what that is. So um, I want to um, I want to bring this up because. Um, there are moments when uh, we, we have to negotiate doctrine, we have to negotiate things like the um, Mormons and Gays website coming out, um, the um, LDS Church filing the amicus brief about Proposition 8. These moments when these events happen, um, might cause conflict, they might cause uh, excitement, they might cause a, a multitude of different emotional reactions, and at those points, um, we that's when our relationship um, might um, either solidify or it might become more conflictual. So um, I just wanted to um, bring that up because I know that different members of affirmation are definitely in different places um, with this, at different levels of conflict or uh, harmony with the church. And I want to honor that here. Um, so let's start with Sam. I know, Sam, you are attending regularly um, and you are out in your congregation. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So, can you talk a little bit about how you're um, how you're navigating and negotiating these points of contention or these conflictual points both within your congregational life and then with the church as a whole?
1: Sure. Um, I kind of start off with the church as a whole first. Um, while I was at BYU, I had a, a professor there who was incredibly um, influential, incredibly spiritual teacher, and he taught a couple of principles that um, have really helped me to um, get peace with the church as yeah. far as this issue goes. First of all, um, just that the oh, wow. church have a monopoly on truth, and that um, also we would we, we have truth, certain truths that aren't found elsewhere, we don't have everything, and uh, this particular class I was taking was an art history class, and we explored all the truth that's found before the LDS church even existed throughout the supposed dark ages, um, and throughout the wonderful Renaissance, and all of these different men and um, artists who were divinely inspired um, to look for truth everywhere, not just within the church. Um, second of all, he emphasized that um, uh, but one of the apostles had said uh, the church is simply a scaffolding. And we are the building. We are what matters to God. What God is trying to build, and He He uses um, the church to to help build us. But every every building um, gets to a certain point where the scaffolding is no longer needed. And, um, it doesn't mean the building is completely finished, and where it um, a point of perfection or, or where it could be, but um, just understanding that seeing the church as more of a scaffolding rather than um, the, the building itself, seeing it as a um, kind of an end to a sorry, means to an end rather than the end itself really changed my view. And I was able to step outside of the church and instead of seeing God. Through the window of the church, um, I saw him directly in front of me. The church was also along there with me in my journey, but it was no longer separating me from God. Um, and I, I've decided um, that that for me, I I feel it's right in my my own life to remain. A part of the church right now, and to um, work on changing things within it, helping to um, bring my brothers from the church to greater understanding of GLBT issues. Um, I I find I guess I, I don't see. Um you know, I'm I'm trying to think how I, I reconcile um these difficult issues like the, the brief and and prop eight and uh, I think things are so difficult but I don't really uh, I choose as simple as it sounds, I think it's huge. I choose not to take personal offense to anyone's ignorance um and that has allowed me to continue on without getting caught up in anger in being hurt and um i'm able to to look past a lot of of what i think could stop me from progressing and, and building bridges and helping more people to understand these issues and um through my example, through having conversations with, with many individuals, through um, writing things and social media, I've found I've been able to touch people I never dreamed I would um, and help them understand a little bit more about this, and that it's not what they grew up thinking it was.
0: Yeah, thank you so anymore. much for sh- Sam, Sam. Excuse me, just a I, second. I just want to say
3: there something. Is, about, if some, if, Sam, that was if so is, profound. I wrote two of the things that you wrote down. The whole scaffolding image is just perfect. And then what you said about choosing not to take offense at anyone's ignorance. Oh my goodness! Thank you for that. Of course. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry to interrupt right now. If there is someone that's typing on their uh, keyboard, I can hear that a little bit in the call. So if you could stop doing that would be (laughs) fabulous. Um, So sorry about that if it's you, but uh, we can hear that. Um, So I didn't want that to interrupt what the profound things that Sam was saying. So that is really important. Um, And and obviously you've offered a lot of wisdom there in in how you're navigating that. there are uh, members of affirmation, however, that uh, are don't feel um, guidance or a calling, as you were, would would maybe see it as a calling to stay in the church and do the work that you're doing. Some of them actually feel uh, called to to leave the church, and so I'm going to actually bring Karen in at this point because um, Karen is in that sort of a, a, a position. So I will bring in her voice here, and would you speak to that, Karen? I will.
4: I don't know that it's ever truly possible to leave the church. (laughs) You know, I mean, I I resigned. um, My name was removed from the records of the church, um, and I asked to have that done. Um, At the same time, I guess in my case, um, I recognize that this was my uh, culture, uh, my religion of youth, and so much of who I am. Is because of the LDS Church, and if I were to completely leave, um, I would have to completely leave a lot of who I am. And so, no, I don't. Lo- I no longer attend, um, but I. I've actually done this on paper um, several times as a way of, of helping myself heal. I've taken a list of things I want to let go of with the LDS Church and things that I want to hold on to. And I went through, It's you know, a personal list, so I think everyone would have their own um, their own answers to that. Uh, but things that mean so much to me are, are a value of family. Um, you know, and I don't want to start listing because I, I would love to keep that, uh, individual for each caller because that would be different, you know, music for me, etc. Um, and I hold on to those things and, and have found a way to be grateful for them. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't be a teacher. I wouldn't uh, necessarily be a musician without the LDS Church. And so so I have gratitude in my heart for those things. There are other things that are hurtful to me um, and to people I care about. And I just release those and I let those go. And I choose not to spend a lot of time dwelling on those things that are hurtful. Uh, That's my path. Um, But I don't feel that spending a lot of time being angry and trying to convince other people that they are wrong is going to do me or them any good. I think by showing the happiness in my life, showing how healthy I am, showing what a joy it is to live with Tanya is the greatest message I can give to anyone else. Um, And so I just let go of a lot of things that no longer serve me and continue to be grateful for those things that have built me and made me who I am.
2: Karen, I think that's just awesome. I I love what you said, and I I agree that there's... There's really nothing you can do that's of a higher quality for all of the LDS people who might still be aware of you than to show them a joyful, beautiful lesbian woman in a a happy, constructive relationship. That is an enormous gift. Thank you. I think you
4: told me that once when I called you for help a couple of years ago. (laughs)
2: I don't remember what I ever say. (laughs) Oh,
3: I'm I'm proud to add another little little bit of optimism here. Um, In my counseling office, within the last uh, three weeks or so, um, someone told me, and she was referring to a gay member of her ward, that the first counselor in the stake presidency in our stake. Said to this gay member of our ward if you would ever break up with your love to activate into the church I will never speak to you again <laughs> And I, I, oh, wow <laughs> I an think it, that he didn't mean that literally but I think that his point is very excellent and well taken that that comes first who, who you are and who you love, that that has to come first before the – I don't know. I don't know what, but anyway, I just thought that was a neat thing to hear, especially from someone in that position in our organization.
2: We have an hmm. unusual stake, don't
3: we, Judy? <laughs> that would be true, Carolyn <laughs> <laughs> And aren't we glad? Well, that may be- oh,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: it may be true uh but i think that there's certainly um evidence um that there are there are more uh stakes and wards that are are opening to that as people are out and um sharing their lives um with and people are coming to understand um that stereotypes aren't always true and and um that that people live lives very differently than what uh has been led, that that even members of the church have suggested to the, to the members so i think that that, that is is that unfolds that that will only continue to be the case um we do have uh someone has actually um Ask a question of, and so we'd like to read that now, so that we can um, can do that. And if again, if anyone else has a question for the panel, um, we do have uh, we'll probably have time to to uh, to take an, at least another one or two. Um, you can email Karen at affirmation.org, K-A-R-I-N at affirmation.org, and uh, and ask a question of the panel. So here is the. Um, uh, the uh, question. This is from an anonymous caller. Um, How do we reconcile our feelings of our orientation being something to be ashamed of? In other words, how do we overcome the feeling of ourselves being fundamentally wrong?
4: Can I start with that one? Sure. Um, When I was... um, uh, young women president. Um, I had an opportunity to look in the eyes of my laurels um, every Sunday and Wednesday night, and the the main thing I told them over and over again was, no matter what you do, promise me that every day you will look in the mirror and look right in your eyes and find the light that is there. And we talked so much about that light and the light of Christ in the LDS Church. And I wanted them to know that no matter who they were and what they had done, they could see the divine in themselves. And so I guess I would give that same opportunity to our caller. Look in your eyes when you are really happy. Take the love of your life and look in the mirror with that person and see the joy that is there and feel it and remember it and let that feeling of divinity wash over you. Uh, and whenever you start to doubt that, go back and find a mirror and look in it and see the light that is you.
0: Well, that that's wonderful advice, Karen. But I know that for me, the, if i had received that advice at a certain point in my life i would have looked in the mirror and just started bawling like crazy because i would have been so full of self-loathing um i did go through a period of of really uh, of extreme darkness for quite a long time and like i i believe that god had created me for the whole the sole purpose of destroying me and I was really angry at God. Like, how could God do that? Why would? And I looked. I looked in every other religious tradition for some other evidence of a God just creating for the the joy of shattering. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to make something and cast it into hell or outer darkness. Well, I that's what I I believed. Boy, was I mistaken! And um, it took me years to get over that awful specter. But it was an illusion. Um, it was, it was uh, a distortion of the truth. It was a huge distortion of the truth. And I internalized it. And when I, when I wrote um, about, and when introduced us talking about self-talk, inner self-talk, well, I was terrible with inner self-talk. Um, I basically used my imagination to really harm myself. And I took every negative thing that had been said around me, any judgmental words, and I completely turned them inside up onto myself like daggers and It was pretty scary inside of me during that time, and it did take some therapy uh maybe a lot of therapy for me to work through that sort of thing and and it was deeper than just my relationship with my church or um or the culture, um, it, you know, it had other layers too, but, you know, I think that, you know, talking to someone that you trust, whether it's a therapist or someone who, who really loves you and, and, um, and believes in you and, and, um, you know, and working through some of that is incredibly important because if you are, using your imagination, your inner talk uh to hurt yourself and to feel wrong and to feel bad because you you've taken voices of family members and the church leaders and you've you just keep echoing them into yourself that you're wrong, you're bad. Um you're distorting the reality of who you are whether you realize it or not and I can I can just offer that from my own personal experience. So I would say that's a moment where Turning to someone that you can truly trust um uh for some help might be might be something to consider, um, especially if you're in a lot of anguish over it. So um does anyone else have uh, other thoughts about that?
3: Hi, it's Judy. Um I I encounter this first of all. I think that is a lovely and affirming thing to teach someone to do. It really is. I think there's, that's a very beautiful thing. And if we all did that, it would it would be good. Meaning, look in the mirror and say, "I see the light that is in myself." When when people come to therapy, often they are miles away from that because they don't see that light and they conclude that the reason that they don't see it is because they are bad defective mm-hmm. and whatever they they believe it's a personal flaw so i work right from the very beginning to help them separate not feeling good from not being good because the two are very very different but when a person feels Horribly depressed or gravely disappointed for a long period of time. One of the conclusions that she will reach is, "I'm doing something wrong, or bad, or I am bad." And some of that dovetails with uh, if if we're LDS and trying to live the you know the code, and we're out of step in some ways, that can strengthen that. But that's a very important uh, difference for people to understand, I think. Mm. Thank you.
0: Um, We have another um, comment that has been sent in um, by another um, listener, so I'd like to read that at this time. Uh, This person says, as someone who regularly attends the Episcopal Church with my same-sex spouse, I just wanted to say that my view of why I go to church has changed dramatically from the days of attending an LDS ward. I used to go to the LDS church because I thought that helped me to get close to God, and it was, of course, such an important part of the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Now, I do not feel that way. For me, attending church is now an opportunity to create community and do service. I do not think God really cares whether I go to church or to, who, or to which church I go. And so that was the, a comment from, from that person. Is this
4: the same person? No, it's a different
1: person.
0: Okay, and we have. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Did anyone want to comment on that in any way?
1: Um, one thing I've kind of began learning recently is, yeah, as far as the the Sabbath goes, um, I think it's it's a beautiful, wonderful principle. Um, it's not so much on Sunday we do these things, but it's it's taking a time out of normal life and setting it apart for for a higher, more spiritual purpose. And so, I mean, whether that's through a Sunday church service in the LDS church, Episcopal church, or somewhere else, or whether it's, it has nothing to do with church, I think that principle, that law of of a Sabbath can really be beneficial to, to anyone's life.
0: Yes, yes. Wonderful. Oh, we have one other question. Um, I'd like to start attending my local ward or singles ward. How out should I be in my ward? Should I tell people in my ward that I'm gay? My second question is for Judy okay, I'm gonna stop right there we' let's do one at a time. So, how out should I be in my ward, and should I tell my ward that I am gay? Sam, you want to jump in on this one since you have experience with this?
1: yeah, um well, first, I think you need to make sure you're you're comfortable with yourself um if i I think several years ago had began to come out to to my congregation and I wasn't even out. Completely to myself, and I don't think that would have been the best situation, but once you are comfortable and out to yourself and in a good place personally, I think I'm all for it. I mean that's how I see the most change happening on this issue is um I mean we can have a website, we can have enzyme stories, and even maybe someday a general conference talk all about this, but it's people in our wards and congregations sitting in the pews next to us who we know are gay and lesbian, some of them in relationships, some of them um, not, that will really make a difference in people's hearts and minds about this. And so as long as as I think you're in a, a healthy, happy spot yourself, I I'm all for it. That's my my view on it.
0: Okay. Thank you, Sam. Uh Carolyn, do you have uh any thoughts on this?
2: Uh I I would love it if um somebody just came into my ward and announced that they were gay. <laughs> and I, I think we would have <laughs> quite a safe quite a safe place for them. Actually, we do have, and he's been out publicly for such a long time, Clark Pingree, uh, who's been an activist, and in fact, I was the one that suggested that he have his records moved from where he had been into where he was living now, which was in our ward boundaries, because I told him he he would be safer here than anywhere else. And and I I used him as the gay person who was on our ward list, Uh, having uh, him come over to my home. And inviting various um, little groups of ward members to come and have supper with Clark and talk about what it's like to grow up uh, gay in the Mormon Church, and we had wonderful times. So uh, I, I think if a if a gay person is sufficiently comfortable along their path to be able to enter into an LDS congregation and let that be one of the facts about them that they reveal, it can only benefit everybody, really. And as you, as you said just a, a minute ago, Sam, this is the way things are going to move forward, is by people just showing up, gay people showing up and saying, oh, here I am. That's, that's what we have to have.
0: What about uh, if um, there are talks, um, being given, though, that are explicitly against, quote-unquote, the gay lifestyle and things like that going on in that particular ward um, that are kind of explicit. What would you suggest in that case?
2: Well, I would suggest that that the gay person or the awake non-gay person who uh, is hearing that go to the bishop. On a really extreme thing you uh, you would maybe get up and leave, but except for a, a real extremity uh, I would sit down with the bishop and say there were some things said today that that I think were very hurtful, and I would like to help you find a way to do some education in this ward, and I'll be willing to help you
3: <laughs> uh, Carolyn. Okay, Oh, yes. <laughs> My you have something favorite more to say, Judy? Was, Among other things, tell them. Yeah. Words, you're not, that's not going to be the only thing about you. You're going to announce to your ward when you move in. Among other things, you can tell them you're gay if you want to. I, I love that.
4: Yeah, because you might also be a great uh, ward organist and uh, m- maybe wonderful with scouts you know and these are the strengths that you bring as well you're not just the gay person right absolutely sure
0: well i'd like to i'd like to move um to the second part of this question and this one is specifically for judy um this person says i'm a recovering alcoholic gay member of the church alcoholism runs in my family How do I put aside my sexuality and my alcoholism to start making personal spiritual progress and progress in the church to start healing myself and my family?
3: Whoa. Well, for me, there's nothing like the 12-step groups. And uh, my husband and I right now are the stake leaders of the ARP group, which is the church 12-step group, and I think it's excellent. I know it is, and we have a really great group. However, at the same time, we always recommend everybody who has an addiction to go to the what I call traditional 12-step group. So that would be Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whatever it is. And go to as many as you can and uh, learn as much as you can. Get a sponsor. Um let's see. For me when I was uh not gay but dealing with the, with the addiction stuff I did not get what I needed at my church. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't, but I I didn't. I just felt way different and um like nobody would be able to relate. And I've had such a different experience in the 12 step groups. Um people join in that culture because of the trouble they have and because of wanting to connect with others who can help them. And it is really beautiful. The steps will remind, I think, anybody who reads them of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in sort of a linear form. But the format is is very different. Really forgiving and loving and accepting So I don't know if that can answer. If you can stay uh, connected with the church and you want to, I think that's fine. But I wouldn't rely on that for recovery. I do think, though, that that if you want to add to the basic 12-step groups, that the ARP meetings are excellent, if you get a good one.
2: Uh, Did I hear the question correctly to how, how do I put away my sexuality and my alcoholism? Isn't that kind of lumping two things that we're trying very hard not to to lump together? If this person is a sex addict, then then that's certainly something that that should be dealt with. But uh, this person and all of us will always be a, um, a sexual being, and we just have to understand how it is that we're going to uh, to comfortably. Um, experience that and express it, or, or or not express it
3: very much. Maybe I didn't hear the question correctly. Or maybe I need to hear the question again.
0: Okay, um, I'll read it. It says, "I'm a recovering alcoholic, gay member of the church. Alcoholism, alcohol, excuse me, alcoholism uh, runs in my family. Mm-hmm. How do I put aside my sexuality and my alcoholism to start making personal spiritual progress?" and progress in the church to start healing myself and my family.
3: I did not hear it correctly. Interesting. First thing I would say, as much as you can, set aside the need that, uh, that you need to set anything aside. I think we need to come to Christ exactly as we are. Um, all are welcome. And I hope that you can find something in any of these places that you go. And I don't think it's about setting aside your alcoholism or your sexuality. I think it's about bringing all aspects of yourself wherever you are. I
0: would like to... um to add something uh, to that, there was a point um, for me where, I, when I was in uh, in personal therapy, where um, I tried to convince myself that I was asexual, because I did not want to deal with a conflict between um, spiritual matters and my sexuality. And uh, a friend said to me once that oh, but Tanya, you're doing all of this healing work. You're healing this. You're healing that. You're healing this. She goes, but you can't heal until you heal everything and it. You're integrated. And it, all of you have to come along or else it's like you have your eyelid is nailed down to the floor behind you and you can't step forward because there's a, you would rip your eyelid off and you just can't do that. Um, and that was a really harsh image to me. But... Um, it woke me up and, and helped me to see that I did need to integrate all aspects of myself, the, healed, the healing places and the places that were strong, the places that needed to have a lot of healing yet to get, and to, to bring all things in and integrate them. And that was incredibly challenging work. Um, but I, 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 I know that that's um, critical uh, to bring everything together and to not wall parts of, of the self off—it's um, it's, uh, too much work for
4: one. <laughs> I, uh, in counseling youth, uh, have had that um, opportunity to, to say the greatest spirituality only comes when you are truly genuine with yourself. And with others. And so you know you have to bring all parts of yourself uh to God to be able to have a full spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't know that it means you need to flaunt it, however. True. Mm-hmm. It's like the previous question, isn't it? Uh, because in addition to your alcoholism and your sexual preference, you bring your intelligence, your sense of humor, your little quirky things about you that make you unique, and um, the kind of work you do, and what's your favorite color? I mean, it all it all comes. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, if uh, let's let's move on to um, a healing story, and um, I'm going to ask the members of the panel to just contemplate for a moment, um, and we'll try to leave here on a, a positive note of, of giving a story of hope and um, and healing that you may have encountered either in your family or in in working with, with people. Um does anyone
2: have one that they would like to start with? Uh may I start first because we're almost at our two hour time and and I have to go up for a meeting with my bishop.
3: <laughs> of course, of course
2: so, so let me just give a few little final thoughts here. Um I'm looking at a quote that I have here from the, the poet Rumi. And you know, every one of us is, is broken. Every one of us is wounded. And, and we all need to heal. And that, that's probably not a permanent thing that will happen in this life because we keep getting new wounds, and we, hopefully we find more intelligent ways to, to deal with them. But this statement of, of Rumi, I like. It says, The wound is the place where the light enters you. Mm. <laughs> so, good... to, to, to realize that, that there can be, and there must be, some value to come from our wounds, maybe they make little windows. Into us somehow, and I—I I guess as a, a little healing story, uh, I, I've been thinking about the little poem of mine that I—I I wrote, and I—I I put it in goodbye, I love you, uh, and of course, th- th- those of you who know my story understand that that I had to go through a very huge distress when um when my husband and I made the decision that we had to end the marriage and uh, that was for for 2 years in Utah and then 2 years in California we tried to figure out a way to to maintain and um, at the beginning of our time in California I wrote this the first part of this little tiny poem that I call Uh, drawn into acts. And then two years later, I added the second tiny part of this poem. And I, I need to bring this out to myself frequently. And the little verse is, I dim, I dim, I have no doubt if someone blew, I would go out. Did not, I must be brighter than I thought, so as I remember that and uh, and I guess what I would like to suggest to other to people is that we just do need to take it one day at a time, and there will be times when we think I cannot do this anymore, I cannot survive, and then, as we let the light in to where the wounds have opened. And as we associate with people who are a healing factor in our lives, we find that we are brighter than we thought. And I'm, I'm grateful to, to everybody on this call and to those who are listening to, to provide a, a community where, where we can help one another heal. And may it be so. And with that, I, I will tell all of you good night
0: all right thank you so much carolyn for for that and and all of the things that you offered we are so grateful for your contribution
2: thank you thank you and bless all of us good night yes right, good night. thanks
0: um let's see who who next does anyone else have uh, something they'd like to contribute here in closing i have a
4: quick thought um, uh, aware of time Healing does not come all at once. Uh, It comes in little bits and pieces, and sometimes there are spurts, and sometimes we may go backward, Um, but it does happen. Uh, and it's a beautiful process, and we need to let it happen and allow yourself to shed those tears when they need to be shed. Uh, take the time you need uh, to let the healing process happen. One way that that has uh, been strong for me is, is uh, at the Affirmation Conference and uh, putting in a little plug at the end here for the conference coming up uh, in September. Uh, it's on the website. What a tremendous experience this is every time we have an affirmation conference to come together as community and be completely ourselves wherever we are uh, on the journey of life and to sing, to worship, to cry. be fully ourselves, it's a tremendous experience and uh, I'll never forget singing in the choir in Kirtland uh, and the powerful experience that was and how that helped me uh, reconcile who I was and uh, I hope we can get a lot of people to attend that uh, because it is a truly powerful experience. Thank you, Karen. Uh,
0: Sam, do you have uh, something that you'd like to offer here in closing? Um, yes, there is
1: one aspect of healing that, um, was on our our list we didn't touch on, and that was healing within, um, relationships with a partner, yes. um, and whether that was a same-sex partner or a, a um, opposite sex or... I, I, right now, I'm not in a relationship, but, um, I was remembering back to a certain relationship I had in the past and the such a simple realization but completely changed my view, my belief, um, changed the way I was, what I had understood since growing up Um, and that was I finally realized there's a difference. The crucial difference between love and lust, and I realized that um, I could love someone romantically of of the same sex, and that might be completely obvious to to many of our listeners and many people, but to me at that time, growing up, thinking that that was not possible—that any feelings towards another guy was was lustful. Um, that was such a realization for me that really opened my mind and opened my heart, and I I felt um, the Spirit confirm that to me, and I felt God um, just affirm to me that 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 is something holy. Those feelings were were from Him, and that really changed my um, my whole attitude, my whole. Belief of my what my future might be. Um, it was a definitely a turning point in healing for me. Wow! Thank you
0: so much for offering that. I am I am um, sorry we didn't have time to to uh, deal with that more completely. But I think what you just said was was uh, all we need to say about that because uh, that is certainly. Um, uh, a very important um, thing, and I think we do we can know that we can know that truth within ourselves, and we can have that confirmed just like you said and uh, you said that so beautifully. Thank you, Sam. Um Judy, let's move on to you. Do you have anything you'd like to offer in closing? Judy, are you still there? Oh, it looks like we lost Judy. So, um, I think that we will bring the the call now to a close. I would like to thank everyone who participated. Uh, be be that you were a member of the panel or you were. Um, members of Affirmation that worked hard to um, put this call together. Um, And, of course, we'd like to thank all of you who have participated as listeners. Um, uh, Thank you for sending in your uh, comments and your questions. Um, We very much appreciate that. So um, with that, uh, we'll end the call, and I just wish all of you well on your healing journey. Thank you, and good night.
1: Thank you.